knowledge you want. Malik books has all the knowledge you need. Malik books. Yeah, they have all the books that the whole wide world wanna read. Malik books. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Malik's Bookshelf, bringing a world together with books, culture, and community. Hi, my name is Malik, your host of Malik's Bookshelf. Hey, I have some controversial questions for Malik's mailbag that I'm going to address on this episode. Um, It's a couple of areas that I don't like to spend a whole lot of time on, and that's politics and religion. But some things politically affects all of us, and that's why I did my episode last week called Big Tech Censorship. Because this is an ongoing issue in America. More, I guess, receipts that Elon Musk had released again on Monday. Might be another dump again on Monday. But the last two weeks, more receipts about the censorship, about shadow banning, and about the big tech interfering in the 2020 election by silencing messages that are in opposition to um, the Democratic Party. So um, I'm going to address those uh, uh, questions I got from the mailbag, Malik's mailbag, but I'm also releasing an interview I've done with Commander Dale Brown, who wrote a book called The Detroit Urban Survival Chronicles, Protection Survival Stories of Domestic Abuse, Death, Robbery, and Violence. So I interviewed him. He also came to Malik Books and did a demonstration on tactics of how to evade a knife, a gun, and things of that type. And it was very impressive because with very little force and certain pressure points on your body, you know, you can do push around someone twice as big as you with very little ease. And you can remove a gun and a knife if you... If you're in a position to defend yourself from someone who's attacking you. But this was an extraordinary interview of someone who has over 30 years experience of defending the community. So I'm going to feature that interview on here. And I'm also going to talk about the Winter Wonderland event that we hosted this last week where we did a Winter Wonderland book giveaway. So stay tuned for this episode, which I'm going to call Don't Drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Big day to big day. Commander Dale Brown is at Malik Books. And as always, I got to interview him for my podcast, Malik's Bookshelf, bringing the world together with books, culture, and community. The name of the book is Detroit Urban Survival Chronicles, protecting survivals, stories of domestic abuse, theft, robbery, and violence. Well, Dale, let's jump right into it. You know, um, talk to me about what a reader can find in this book and why this book is so important in this era that we're living in. A reader is going to find in this book the actual stories of how we used our system, the training system I created, and why I created it, because it talks about the violence uh, that was being perpetrated by violent criminals, violent individuals and gangs, and then how we actually rescue people and protected families from these gangs and how we still do this very day. So right now my company protects uh, approximately 5,000 families, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we started 27 years ago. 
And so uh, what this book is about is just telling the stories of how and why uh, the training system exists and how the training uh, is, is going to help you protect yourself and your family because it helped us. So it's literally the how-to book on how to create safety safely for your family, for your community, your corporation, anywhere in the world. Well, Dale, share your background because obviously you're offering a lot of strategic, tactical, you know, things that can help people survive, save their lives and so forth. So talk to me about your background because uh, I think that's important. Yes, my background is uh, uh, in a lot of different martial arts. So I trained a lot of martial arts. I was a kid to an adulthood. Uh, and then I was a licensed private investigator when I got out of the military. And I was an airborne paratrooper in the military. So what I did was I mixed together several different knowledges. And that was uh, areas of knowledge. That was primarily the understanding of the skill set that I learned from martial arts. Then uh, some of the disciplines from, uh, from the military. And then... I mix that with my understanding of law. Because in order for you to defend yourself legally, you have to know the law. Otherwise, what you're doing could be considered illegal. So really good people that are not the bad guys are actually in prison right now simply because they could not articulate their use of force properly. So my original reason, my impetus for teaching was I thought it'd be a great business. The reason I switched from a business model to a community service model uh, was because this girl got chased off a bridge. Her name was Delita Ward. She was snatched out of a car in front of a crowd of people. Her and her daughter, teenage daughter, were in a car. They pulled the mother out. They stripped her clothes. Those three men, they uh, stripped her of her clothes. She jumped off the bridge, the Belle Isle Bridge, uh, to, to escape these men. And she died in the water as a result. And I thought, if I had some people on that, on that bridge, if I had trained the mother, then I could have provided them with the knowledge they needed to protect themselves and stop this horrible event from happening. And I, I didn't, I, I, know, I had no way to get to them because at that time I was just teaching my system to those that could afford it. And so I was teaching downtown Detroit. I just created it in 1994. I had some students. I started building up a good student um, uh, group, diverse group. And uh, I decided that was not important. When that girl got chased off the bridge, what made me uh, realize this is my life's purpose was that I'm in Detroit and I believe that's what my purpose was, to be the person who could bring the knowledge. And then when I ended up on the east side, uh, purpose is important. Purpose is everything. So now I believe that was my purpose. And then, so I go to train the people and then I find out something else. That even if I train the people, if they're dealing with a gang, they need more than just training. Mm. So I created an organization from the streets of Detroit by getting volunteers from the neighborhood. I got them free apartments from the building owners. I made a deal with the building owner uh, that's really rich to say, uh, you know, give me, a well, give me a facility so I can use as a school. Uh, give me one free apartment in each building and I will... Uh, stop these home invasion and murders that are killing your um, prosperity. The first time I, I mentioned to him, he said no. He's not interested. He's, he's, he's rich, but he's also rich because he doesn't waste money. He doesn't spend money on the people that are paying him. So there's not enough lighting. There's not good doors. There's no security essentially for the people that live there. And we're talking about 10, 10 buildings in one square block, approximately 500 homes. And uh, of those, you're at a 50% vacancy. So you're talking about, you know, uh, 250 families, when you should have a, a, a thriving community of 500 dwellings filled, you have 250 dwellings filled in this in this one square block. And what I did was I told the building owner, you know, I can help. He said he wasn't interested. He said to, to, to him, it doesn't make sense that one guy with a dog and a rifle could do something that the entire Detroit Police Department could not do for the 20 years that he's been owning these buildings. He said he's not making any money, so he's not interested in spending money on safety for, this, for the people who live there. And I said, well, you know, I get your point. 
And I thought about it. I was like, wait, what, what could one person do with a dog and a rifle? The police department can't do I was like, man, that, that doesn't make sense. I, I was like, what am I thinking? Yeah, you got to make him a believer. Uh, no, I, I, mean, I didn't believe now. I was like, wait, that was a good question. I, I could be killed out here. I didn't absolutely. think about it. I was like, well, you know what? I was willing to die uh, as an airborne paratrooper. I was willing to give up my life for no good reason. So I would definitely be do, doing myself a good service and the community a good service if I died for these families. Think about it, if one, if I killed even one of these criminals were killing the families, mm-hmm. right? These are rapists, robber, murderers, individuals and gangs. Mm. If I were to die killing them, because that's what would happen, by the way, that's what I thought was gonna happen. I thought that they were going to escalate the level of force with firearms and knives and guns and multiple aggressors to the point where I have to kill them. And in that process, I was going to be killed. So I believe that was going to happen. So I didn't believe there was going to be a future. So we're talking about 96 when I discovered that there was no protection. There was no one coming. Mm-hmm. The, the entire wow. the entire wow. protection was me and whatever volunteers I one could start man, getting. One man show. Right. And I didn't think that. I thought it was the police. I thought you all that we need to do is call the police and then we tell the police what happened. The police could come there and then the police could provide us with the safety that we needed. Yeah, but when you call the police, they might come the next day. That is correct. Uh, or not at all based on level of threat that's, per, that's being uh, conveyed to them through the 911 system. So instead of complaining, what I did was I created this, this alternative option, which is VIPERS. VIPERS stands for Violence Intervention Protective Emergency Response System. It's a bodyguard training system. Mm-hmm. And I got volunteers in the community. I convinced the building owner to give me six months. I said, you lost $70,000 last month when that girl got murdered. And it's usually always girls getting murdered, mm-hmm. almost always. Men are getting shot, girls are getting murdered. But every time that happens, this guy loses about 70000 in income. And I found this out from the building owner's uh, secretary, manager. She told me he lost 70000 last month. People moved out when that girl got murdered. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah, said, you know yeah. what? Let me, let me do what I can do for you, crime sir. Crime-infested area. It's not that. It's what it is. There's no protection. So it's not crime-infested. What's happening is because there's no protection, there's no one to keep people alive. That means that if your daughter's being threatened, your son's being threatened, your family's being threatened, then there's no one to stop you from, from actually being killed by the, the people threatening you. So it's not urban violence. It's really uh, the opportunity is being built for them that are predatory. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it's just misunderstandings. Other times, it's just a, a, a abuse of people that have no, uh, no one to tell them to stop and no one to stop them. So mm-hmm. essentially, what I did was I, I got to building order. I said, give me six months to stop your losses. Give me six months to stop a home invasion and murders. He was like, you know what? I don't believe it's going to work, but I'll give you six months. So I got a free apartment. I got a free office. I got 2000 a month, and I got a free apartment there in 10 buildings. And then I got volunteers from the community, and I trained them, mm-hmm. and they got a free apartment. And I trained, we trained every day, all day. They only had to protect their building, and then they respond if necessary. And then we had, you know, 10 people. I, you know, okay. always had these people coming in. And so it was concentrated. I didn't have any money, right? The $2,000 was just enough to afford <laughs> dog food. And okay. supplies and equipment, right? Yeah. So we were successful, though. We stopped all the home invasions and murders. And as a result, the police department had 911 calls go down from 300 down to 30 a month. And that was me. Wow, we that's impressive. Police. We always call police for every situation. And if police get there before we, you know, we have to take action, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But sure. what happens is normally um, whatever situation it is, we're calling police for whatever violence, screaming, someone chasing someone, uh, someone kicking in someone's door. We have to take actions, which is called it's called action circumstances. Due to action circumstances, we have to protect someone. That means legally, we're taking action, not as vigilantes, not as usurping authority. We're going into uh, protect someone because there was no other choice. Mm-hmm. We already called the police. The police cannot be here yet. So in, in in the interim period before the police could arrive, we protect the family. Okay, you de-escalating whatever's no, taking no, place. No, no, we we physically dominate the threat. 
Okay. Beat them down, shoot them, stab them, whatever needs to be done will be done before the police get there if it's okay. necessary in order to save life. So you, nothing so, limits so, us. So we talking, uh, you, you, so you confront them with, with violence too. We confront them with, with extreme violence, not violence, oh, extreme, okay. violence. extreme violence. Their, their level of violence was significantly less than ours. So I came to them with 30 rounds, with laser, flashlight, <laughs> scope, and all kinds of unnecessary things so that they could be petrified of the reality of a negative okay. decision. And as a result, we were able to shock their brain into believing they could not win. So now they don't look at me as a woman, child, old person, or someone they can believe they so can. So this went viral. This went viral because now in this whole community, they talking about the potential of extreme violence being met with their violence and them being untrained. Now they're, they're thinking twice about making moves. Well, what it is, they're not just untrained, they're, 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 what drives them is low priority. So for them, they're, they're raping, robbing, and murdering families because they have opportunity. Once they believe there's no opportunity, <laughs> once they believe that's been denied, they don't want to do it anymore. So what I offered them was pain and suffering, right? I offered them immediacy. I'm going to respond right now when, when the senior citizens are calling, when the single moms are calling about being um, home invaded and raped by a female gang. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to respond right now. When mm -hmm. um, men are laying in wait to attack females in the building, when there are men in the building that are assaulting people and going in their homes without even masks, they wouldn't even... They're not even like they're not trying to get away. They would knock on your door and tell you to check it in, to to rob you, in a group of men. Like you can't, you know, like wow. it's like in a weird movie. Like in a, in a movie, the bad guys like try to get away. These guys are walt waltzing. They they were not even trying. This is 94, 95. They don't they're feel not, threat. There's no threat. And when the police got there, there was still no threat. We're talking about carjacking. 80 year old man. There's a story of an 80 year old man getting carjacked in here, and the police, uh, they showed up, and the 80 year old man was just told to go to his apartment with bleeding mouth. And uh, the guy who, shot, who, who, uh, who pistol whipped him, uh, who I have a rifle on in the hallway when the police get there, he was allowed to leave and go downstairs into an apartment. They just let us kill each other. They he were just... not interested in enforcing laws <laughs> wow. in any of these situations. And what I did instead was I decided that instead of uh, blaming the police or being a victim, I decided to take charge of the situation and create a change positive change so i explained yeah. to them that this will no longer be tolerated we're not going to have that it's a good place for families to live it's where i live my rifle covers from here to here to here to here okay. so all these streets are covered these four streets mm -hmm. you can go and do mayhem or somewhere else but on these streets right here where i live mm -hmm. you're going to not be able to harm these families 24 hours a day seven days a week i can sum that up never be the aggressor but fight with those who fight with you yes and what that means is you have to so if i want them not to aggress i may have to make them believe that they will not win. If they believe they can win, they're gonna try, and they can't win, therefore I, I'd be actually setting them up to, to have to kill them. Mm -hmm. So I can also say is that in the community, cleaning up the community, I was able to do it without killing anyone there. Mm -hmm. So in that community where I started on the east side, which they called Crack Alley, this area was so bad, they just believe they, just believe they couldn't change. The people who lived there believed it, mm -hmm. and the, the police believed it could not change. Mm -hmm. And so once I got rid of uh, those 911 calls, the police started supporting us. Okay. Uh, the police were like, well, whatever you're doing, I'm not getting any, any legal complaints. There's no federal complaints. There's no state complaints. There's no lawsuits against the police department. So uh, I'm going to, you know, the police department began to support us. Uh, yeah. Very positive. That's as a result of, yeah, as, as a result of the fact that we were creating positive for the community in general. And when you create a safe place for the families, mm -hmm. the occupancy goes from 50% to 75% to 90% to a waiting list. 
That means that what you do by protecting the people is you create prosperity. So you make rich people richer by making poor people safer. Mm, say that again. You make rich people richer by making poor people safer. So that's- I never heard that before, never, but that's profound. That's profound. That, that's the purpose <laughs> of the book, to share with you how that happens. Because it's a naturally occurring outcome. So I'm not a nonprofit. I get money for protecting rich people. Rich people fund everything I do. I started with a dog and a rifle and no money. Now I got boats and armored vehicles and all kinds of cars and things. Prosperity! That, right, but that came, from, <laughs> that came from protecting people. So successfully protecting people means there's profit. So I don't need any handouts. I don't need anything from the government. No one gives me anything. I don't have any loans. No one loan me anything. I built it through sweat equity. So the money I have comes from creating positive conditions for wealthy people. I make them pay a great deal of money. They get no discounts. They pay double. Rich people pay double. That's my rule. Okay. And then I have money left over to protect all people. It doesn't matter where they live, what their uh, religion is, what their ethnicity is. We protect all kinds of people in all communities. And we don't just protect people in Detroit. So we're asked, uh, the first prosecutor's office to actually ask us to protect people for free was Oakland County. And Oakland County is the richest community in Michigan. And these are women that are being tortured and terror, uh, terrorized and, and uh, attempt to be murdered by men that are wealthy and they're in the suburbs. And there's no one to protect them out there either. We just think there is. There is no protection no matter where you live. When someone's coming to kill you, it's you and the killer and the police can get there if they can't. And if police do get there, that's great. But unfortunately, the way crime works and violence, violence is here and now, and the police are going to be coming from somewhere else. Right. So right. you look at active shooters, most active right. shooters are killed by themselves. They're not killed by responders. Uh, first responders are there way after okay. the response. Okay. And so it's just, it's just the way it works. Not well, that the police are bad or slow. It's just the reality that no matter how fast the police get there, it's not going to be fast enough. Mm -hmm. And to give an example, in one of the home invasion situations, I got there in seven minutes. And it's five men that went into a lady's house. It was actually a paying client seven minutes which is pretty fast uh when i got there there were three police cars and there's about 10 officers already there they beat me there by five minutes they got to this house within two and a half three minutes of the alarm going off they had left a raid uh two two blocks down from this house so when the call came in they said to go two blocks over mm -hmm. to respond to a home invasion by the time they got there with engines blaring so they, you know they're flooring you can hear the engines from you know a mile away so by the time they floored and got to this house the criminals all heard the police cars coming and just took off and all scattered around the, uh, the area. They caught, they didn't catch anyone. So that's an example of even being very fast to response situation, you still are not gonna win. That's why what's, what matters is protection. If we don't want someone to do crime, to rape, rob, and murder people, we have to go there before they rape, rob, and murder and prevent the rape, robbery, murder. And if we want our police to do that, we need to reward them for that. So that's another thing that we hope to uh, hopefully support in the future is having businesses help support paying police officers bonuses for the things you want them to do, mm -hmm. including training them. So I have a training program well, for how police. you gonna beat the robber? How you gonna beat the robber to the, to the crime? By when he already premeditating and plotting and planning. Right, and that's where you beat him at, in the plotting and planning. Mm. So if they don't believe they can rob, rape, and kill someone, they don't. Mm. You have to beat them in their belief system. Mm. So the number of robberies in this mall of stores is probably very low, why? They don't believe they can get into the mall and get out of the mall safely. So as a result, they don't do that. The mm. same store being somewhere else could easily be robbed because it's uh, inside of a mall. Okay. So being inside of a mall gives you a degree of safety simply because the criminals don't know how they can get in and then get out. Uh, are we tactically using fear as a deterrent? Fear is a, the deterrent. They have to fear consequences. The moment they believe there's no consequences, 
they're actually going to try. Absolutely. So once you tell someone, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, that's not against the law. You can do that to someone, and then you can't get caught, most likely. Mm-hmm. Once they even believe that, whether it's true or not, they're going to try something. Mm-hmm. So they have to believe that there's no opportunity. We call it opportunity denial. Opportunity denial is the way to create safety safely. So once you create the idea that opportunity exists, you're actually creating violence. You're creating conflict. That's kind of what's taking place in, in society right now. With the uh, you, if you don't if you don't uh, have a thousand dollars, you still in a. I think you have to steal more than a thousand dollars to even be arrested. I think that that creates incentive. Correct. If you if they know a person knows they can't get arrested, they're gonna be doing things. But that's the bottom line. So what you have to do is make it more <laughs> difficult for them to uh, be able to get access. So for example, if the glass here. If you had two doorways and you had to buzz them in or buzz them out, that's how you stop people from coming in and snatch stuff. They can't be, bu- they gotta be buzzed out. Mm-hmm. Th- therefore, they can't get out. So they know that. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is have multiple people there and they'll try to block the door, right? One person blocks the door. So you have to make sure that you have them so far apart mm-hmm. that you can block the door without well, that you happening. You know, that's in pot at a Walmart. I think they said they lost about $400 million. Well, most of their, most of their theft is internal. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> in big companies, 80% of shrink is internal. So every dollar they're talking about, remember, eight of those dollars is really okay. them, their employees doing that. Word, word, so word. the managers working with security, working with these people, working with those people, not all of them, just yeah. like this store, that yes, store. Yes, yes, yes. So remember that theft is internal in all organizations, uh, in all types of companies. Okay. What? So ultimately, I got one book, more. ultimately oh. this book is about one thing, how you can learn from our uh, journey over the past 27 years uh, to help you make good decisions for you and your family. But you're learning the actual stories from how we used our system, and you can use it for your family, for your community uh, as well. Well, Commander Brown, I appreciate an in-depth interview about the Urban Survival Chronicles. The question is, does the strategies work? If they didn't, there would be no book. (laughs) And you heard it from Commander Brown right here on Malik's Bookshelf. Appreciate you, my brother. We had an amazing turnout at the Winter Wonderland book giveaway. Overwhelming turnout from the community. The Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza Mall was just transformed into a community hub where people came from all over to get books, toys, to sled, to dance, to to walk. Um the mall and participate in many different activities and it was just a fun event a festive event a family event and we had such a wonderful time we also hosted a book signing at post and beans where kevin powell he's a contributing author a journalist um he um had done his 15th book called Grocery Shopping with My Mother. I would have interviewed him, but it was just too loud, so I told him I'd do it another time because it was just an overwhelming uh, turnout at the Post and Beans. It was a brunch and book signing, and his book just came out. And so we have signed copies at Malik Books, so please pick up your copy, Kevin Powell. He, um, Powell, he's been, uh, once again, this is his 15th book. It's a book about poetry. And his uh, relationship and inspiration that he got from his uh, mother, you know. And 
But back to the Winter Wonderland at the uh, Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall and, and Malik Books uh, giveaway in partnership with uh, Beyond the Dormant Book Club. We had such a wonderful day. I had a tutoring company out called Terrific Tutors, and they uh, gave out um, free tutoring for our youth. And Malik Books and uh, Beyond the Dormant uh, Book Club gave away books. People were shocked and amazed of all the different books that uh, we had on display that we were able to give out. Um, they were new books that wasn't used, and people just was amazed and thankful. And so we give all thanks and glory to God, you know, and everyone who helped make this day possible. Um, as a youth organization, a nonprofit called this bigger than us. They did a real big, big thing, a big job, and a good job, and you know, and transforming that mall totally into um, where where. Um, thousands and thousands of people just came out and had such a wonderful time. And um, we just grateful and thankful to do our part, which is the book giveaway. And, and it was an amazing response for that, you know, amazing response. I understand that they might have gave out um, around 12,000 toys, but uh, we was able to give out around 3,000 books. So give thanks, give thanks. So, you know, one, one of the things about Malik's bookshelf, bringing the world together with books, culture, and community is the fact that, um, we're about community. And this week was a community event and, uh, and every, it was festive. It was a holiday spirit. And, you know, you can go on the social, our social media, Malik books and follow us. And you can see some of the, uh, the giveaways and what was taking place, uh, at the Winter Wonderland. So anyway, uh, that's all about community. Thank you. We're back. We're back with the Malik's Mailbag. I got some explosive questions that were emailed to me. From Jaden in Windsor Hills. Malik, after listening to Big Tech Censorship, I had to write in. I respect you as a businessman, a father, a husband, and a man of the community. But this ain't it, brother. You said you're not taking a side, but all you're doing is reciting right-wing talking points. Twitter took down new photos of Hunter Biden at the request of the Biden campaign. Who cares? That validates Twitter's terms of service anyway. Also, can Elon Musk be trusted to release all the files or just the ones that supposedly make the Democrats look bad? Your points about black people being silenced are well taken, but Trump lost in 2020, fair and square. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Jade, you packed a loaded question. I'm going to try to do my best about the big tech censorship. I'm glad you took an interest and wrote me. But, hey, I don't know if I have enough time to answer everything. I only devoted a certain amount of time to the Malik's mailbag. But, listen, Jaden, I'm a black man in America that knows the history of both the Republicans and Democrats. But no party right or left, has been fair or just to black people on a consistent basis. 
we have gotten some inroads from both parties. There are issues that I identify both on the left and the right. I like the fact that Obama wanted to give universal health care. Now, that might strike you, Jaden, but I like that idea. But I know for a fact, historically, in this country, the number one party who has wanted to censor free speech has always been the left, the Democrats, the liberals. And that has not changed today. Jim Crow was started by the left. They would sick dogs, water holes on black people to silence us, to put fear in us. The Ku Klux Klan was invented by the left to enforce fear in black people. So nothing has changed the date. Censorship is a known fact to be a strategy the FBI and the American government has used to silence black people. Now, as far as me identify with certain points on the right, okay, hey, but that don't mean I identify with the Republicans. I don't represent neither party because both parties have silenced black people, oppressed black people, imprisoned black people, and have destroyed the black family. So don't put me in that trick bag, Jaden. I think you're drinking that Kool-Aid. <laughs> you think that the big tech companies are not colluding and conspiring with this government. They're coordinating and writing service terms that are discriminating against different groups of people and different ideologies simply because it don't fit the narrative. Now, you could believe Jaden all you want, but the way you think, and that's fine, but I'm under no illusion that it's all about power. And with power comes control. They have to control this influence that is taking place on their social media. And it's to their interest. They really believe, I'm talking about the government, believe this is in the best interest of America that benefits their interests. It is not in the best interest of the society and the citizens because they are disseminating disinformation with the very... Definition of censorship. Twitter took down Hutton Biden's nude pictures. I think they should, but they ain't stopping all those nude pictures with thongs, all these women's booty sticking wide old crotches, spread it, you know, left to the right. But they ain't stopping none of that off of the social media. There's all kind of filth and decadence on this social media. They ain't stopping nothing that. They're not censoring none of that, but they're censoring people when it's ain't in the best interest of the government. I see a whole lot of stuff on there that they allow this hate speech towards black people and it's still posted. But that's okay because it ain't in the interest of the government to stop the killing and stop the hate speech towards blacks. And so they guess what? So it's just laced and filled and honeycombed with nothing but vile things against black people. New photos absolutely should be taken down, but that's not what they censored. What they censored was information about hit, uh, about our president, um, Biden, being involved in business dealings in U Ukraine, China, and different companies around the world, and the relationship that Biden had with his father, 
and him being mentioned in there under many various terms like the big guy and so forth. Washington Post is a big paper. They don't publish. They, they can be sued for putting information out that's false. And what took place was they were censored. A huge company uh, uh, like Washington Post was censored and material was taken down. Only for two years later where all these major newspapers are now admitting that that laptop was legit, number one. So why was it taken down? Yes, while Elon Musk uh, is revealing all these receipts about the government, FBI, colluding, conspiring, and manipulating and coordinating with the big tech companies to censor information about Hunter Biden, about Trump, or whatever, they ain't censoring all that hate speech against black people and all them lies put all throughout the social media about black people and all that new that's all over the social media that's causing licentious behavior in society. Social media is a platform for people to put their information or content on there. The social media is not supposed to be editing. What they're doing is editing. And that means they shouldn't be protected because they're in the, in the business of editing. And that's where I believe that they're coming up against the free speech because they're editing content. They're tr controlling content. And so there, I think that they're in violation. And I think that they went too far. And Jaden, if you think that elections are fair, then you have truly drank Kool-Aid. Ain't no election fair. First of all, presidents are selected, not elected. <laughs> I do not believe there are any fair and free elections. They all manipulate one way, shape, or form. And the power structure that wants to control the outcome in these elections are heavily involved. They have done many polls since the 2020 presidential election. And the majority of Muslim people believes something was wrong with this last election and that big tech interfered in the 2020 presidential election in their censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop. So, Jaden, thank you for your question. I hope I was able to answer your questions. From Elijah in South L.A., Malik, I think you need to brush up on the First Amendment. Free speech does not mean that every platform in the world is required to let you say whatever you want, whenever you want. Twitter has rules, and if they are violated, you are kicked off. It's simple. If you start doing anti-Semitic rants on your podcast, like Kanye, iHeartRadio would stop putting it out. Can you be arrested for those rants? No, that is freedom of speech. Twitter isn't taking away anyone's First Amendment rights and certainly not major political figures who can be on television whenever they want. Okay, that's a loaded question again, Elijah. Appreciate it. Thank you. But my main focus, like I said, on the Big Ten signature is the fact that we need to be aware that, you know, people are being targeted on social media and being uh, taken off, eliminated, suspended for views and points that are not, once again, acceptable to a certain party. Now, as far as free speech, you know, I know you can't say 
like you in a theater. This is the classic. If you in the theater and shout fire, there's no fire. And people start stampeding and running out and there's no fire and somebody get hurt. Hey, you can get arrested for that. You know why? Because you put people at, in danger and you put people at risk. All right. So there are rules and parameters. All right. This is not the case. Okay. This is not people shouting fire. People have been censored and eliminated off of social media simply because they didn't agree with certain things about the vaccination and they were censored and eliminated. People have spoken things about the government. The government didn't like it. Big tech didn't like it. And they removed them from social media. So. That's black people and that's white people and indifferent have been censored because their views are different. Now, it's not, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And the thing is, anytime you're trying to speak to an audience, you need to speak in a way that you are effective and can communicate, all right? And you need to be aware of that. There's responsibility come with being free. And therefore, you need to meet those responsibilities. So when it comes to free speech, no, I don't think big tech had a right to edit people and take people things off. And they're able to get away with that because politicians are allowing them, not because they are an independent business. They are discriminating. That is my and this is how I see it. They are discriminating and they're getting away with it because politicians are not standing up to defend the rights of the people in America because it's to their benefit that they control the masses of the people and what they think and how they think. So when you say to me, Elijah, that I need to brush over free speech, I think you need to because the small man today censored. The big man tomorrow, censor, and that's exactly what has happened. You need to brush up on your First Amendment because I'm the, uh, not under the illusion that when a person is in power, they want to control the way people think. They don't, they spend billions and billions to influence how you think, what you wear, what you say, how you, man, see the world. Hey, look, this is, we live in a world, you got to stop being living in a fairy tale. Power is power and power. People control many industries because of their power and big tech independently popped up. This government just couldn't have it run wild and let anything and everything on there without controlling it. So that's what they're doing. They want to control what's being put on there and it's under free speech. And there are discriminating because you can wear, like I said earlier, you can wear thongs, you can be half nude, you can say some of the most filthiest things sexually and what? Be on social media. But the minute you say something is pro-black or anti-government or it's against somebody's religious belief, all of a sudden now you got to what? You got to be censored. All right. Who, you know, and that's the argument here. It ain't got nothing to do with protecting free speech. That's not what they're doing. They're censoring free speech. And it's bigger than all us. And the reality is that I knew years ago that they was going in this direction, and that's exactly what they did. So anyway, that's my thoughts on these questions, man. You know, like I said, um, I think it's important how you say things and what you say. And I think you need to choose 
uh, your words carefully. Absolutely. And some people do that better than other people. And I think that, you know, um, Big Tech is violating our First Amendment right. And that's my take on that. Thanks for listening to Malik's Bookshelf, where topics on the shelf are books, culture, and community. Be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. Check out my Instagram at Malik Books. See you next time.